Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Making Lemonade, the podcast where we talk about how we take the lemons that life gives us and all the different flavors of lemonade that we as creatives and as people make throughout our lives. If you'd like to see more of my content, please go to at Jordan Morpeth Art on Instagram or my website, www.jordanmorpethart.com. This week, we are talking to one of the best interviewees and one of the best people I've ever um, obtained on the podcast and interviewed on the podcast. His name is Mr. Justin Prime, also known as Justin Sinceri. Um, You may know him as J Prime from the J Prime cast. Um, Justin has a wonderful uh, podcast. Uh, You can go and look that up on iTunes and wherever you find podcasts. He does a podcast on hobby arting um, and his podcast is basically on, he's got some great content on, uh, well, content production and on how to use Instagram as an artist and he basically just uses his podcast as a place for him to, uh, as a sounding board for his, his world and his life and the things he does and it's just, I have got so much out of his podcast I just had to have him on the podcast and he so sincerely and so kindly um, said yes uh, and it was it was so surprising to me I thought surely he wouldn't have the time for me and the fact that he carved out some time from to sit down and have a chat with me for a couple of hours mind you especially considering he um, lives in California um, and he lives in over in the United States and he is well, it was late for him. <laughs> it was quite late. I think we actually spoke quite into quite late into the night for me as well. Um, so, yeah, but we had such a long talk that I decided I'm going to have to um, release two podcasts this week, which means we're going to have two parts of the podcast. Um, and this first part is it's predominantly about mental health. Uh, Justin actually sat down and listened to my last episode, and we had a discussion to begin with about my last episode when I spoke on my um, suicide attempt and my and the state of my mental health over the last uh, decade or last five, six to seven years um, since I left high school and, and the struggle I've had due to the fact that he is um, a mental health professional. Um, he was able to, you know, he was really interested in, in discussing this with me, and and I, I'm I'm really interested in discussing it with people as well because I've been through some stuff and I've met some people who've been through some shit, and um, I really like obtaining more knowledge on uh, mental health and how one can uh, get the best out of out of life. Um, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it, uh, Mr. Justin. Prime. Alone I was a fish trying to climb a tree Feeling stupid and discouraged by all the monkeys looking down at me No one said they were above me, but I could see 
And it only proved how easy climbing trees should be But no matter what I tried it hurt my fins to climb Two branches back for each branch up Falling farther behind Till one day back at the bottom I turned from the tree And for the first time saw the ocean And a fish like me And the fish said, hey you, it's totally true We fish aren't great at climbing But that doesn't mean we aren't great at swimming, jumping, diving The world is full of fish like us Once climbing to fit in But potential turns successful When we learn how to swim So when you get discouraged Try different, try again Cause failing might just mean you're trying to climb Instead of swim. Yes. I looked down anyway, at my fins um, and saw things? the we'll, fish. I'll, I'll record an intro later and just uh, just start up. We'll just go straight into it. How's um? How are you? Nice to meet you. Finally, by the way. Yeah, dude. Um, I liked your. I'm doing. I'm doing just fine. Just fine. <laughs> this is my. This is like my. This is just in time. Like after ten o'clock. Down in the office. Um, this is, you know, late at night. I'm awake. I'm not gonna get much sleep, but I'm okay with that. Mm. And this is oh. just kind of where I, I feel the most awake, you know. Oh, okay. We, it's been a long yeah. weekend, and uh, no, I'm excited to be talking with you. I listened to your last podcast. That was really good. That was really good quality. Um, the, your story was uh, obviously very powerful, but I, the, for me, the best part was that the your story of coming out of it and the fight. Um, against depression, I think is the way you basically put it. Um, that was mm. a really cool story to hear and to hear you coming out of it and being so aggressive about it. That was pretty interesting. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it well, was, thank um, you for sharing. Was, thank you. It was one of yeah. those things that I really tossed up, whether, whether it was relevant to my work, whether it was, you know, um, even when I started the podcast, I kind of tossed up whether it was relevant to, you know, being an illustrator and, and such and such. Um, but, you know, as you as you probably well know, making lemonade is not supposed to be about just art. Otherwise, we would just be an art podcast. Um, because you know, art is, my philosophy a little bit with it is art uh, influences life, and life, you know, influences art. So they they go together, and you know, I really want to be as genuine as possible. And how more genuine can you be without you know, especially when you've gone through some pretty rough mental health, and I didn't want to, you know, make anyone feel like, you know, it's all relative, really. As as you well know, you know, being a psychologist yourself, it, it's it's I'm supposed, all... to, I'm supposed to correct you. It, it might there's a, there's a law in my state <laughs> oh, that if, really? if someone mislabels me, I have to correct them, or else I get in trouble. Really? Yeah. So over here, even though I have a, ma- a master's in counseling psychology, I, my hmm. title is not psychologist. It's mental health clinician or mental health actually my, my legal title is licensed marriage and family therapist so if anyone ever calls me a doctor or a psychologist i have to be like whoa, whoa, whoa hold up or, or really? else like there's all these laws and ethics that i have to follow and that's one of those <laughs> yeah we have sorry to throw you off there no no it's all right it's all right um we have a i understand that we have a couple of those over here i myself actually am a dis- disability support worker it doesn't yeah. so much go for me I mean that's my that's my day job and that's what my partner does as well. Really? Yeah. That so, fascinating. I'm, I'm so interested in that. 
Yeah, that's. It's, I really it's, am. It's one of those. Um, um, we can we can get into that later. But yeah, there's we here in Australia. We have. Um, I know we have a law. So my partner has a sister for a psychologist, as a, who's a psychologist, and she has a couple of sisters um, who are teachers. And the law is most public servants over here. I don't know about you guys, but most public servants over here, um, police officers, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, teachers, so on and so forth, have to report um, almost anything that they think is illegal. They, we have mandatory oh. reporting in yeah. Australia. So yeah. if they see, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know that you quite literally can't do anything illegal in front of some family members of ours because they have mandatory reporting to do. Interesting. We have, I have a, there's mandatory reporting for my field, anyone in psychiatry, psychology, nursing, teachers, anyone in the school district really. Um, But it's not about anything. It's about child abuse, child neglect. So I don't have to report anybody for like just breaking the law, but I do have to report if it's, involving children and basically any sort of danger to children or if a child is a danger to themselves or others. But if an adult is going to kill themselves, I don't legally, I'm not mandated to report that. Oh, okay. I don't know what, I don't, I know it's definitely, I don't know what the specifics are around it, but I know it's definitely, yeah, the the similar thing with children, um, any are being abused, that kind of thing. Um, we have that. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm glad you listen to the podcast. It's the first one I actually sat down and wrote as well. It was an interesting place to, yeah. to be. Yeah, I was really um, interested in that process. I, the, so it's interesting that you sat down and wrote your for this one, right, for the first time? Yeah. And this today, well, today, yeah, today I published one that I didn't write or outline at all. And it oh. was just pure, free form, let's see how I do. So it's okay. interesting that you and I kind of had that timing. But I, I've been curious about doing um, an actually a script, like actually reading off a script, and what that might yeah. be like. How, how, so I'm really I'm not, now I'm interviewing you, but I'm curious how that was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you have two podcasters together. And, <laughs> well, I'm just generally um, interested. <laughs> well, it was a matter of I really like writing, so I sat down and mm. I decided. So as a quite interesting how it's opposite. So my process is I'm better in the morning. Um, uh, I don't. I don't very much either. I, I mean, if I get about six to seven hours of sleep at night, I'm good to go, um, as long as that's a solid six to seven hours of sleep. So I and later in the night, I'm just useless. Like later yeah. in the afternoon, even this time of you know, it's like five thirty now here in Sydney, and I'm just absolutely useless. So um, <laughs> I find myself so much better if I get up at about five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, get some uh. exercise and get to work. And so what I decided to do was I had an idea of, I knew I wanted to tell a story that I had to tell. Um, and I have a few more stories around mental health that I'd like to discuss and just some thoughts. Cool. Uh, I basically just decided in the mornings to spend half an hour after, I, especially after I watched that um, Jar Jar Binks, the guy who had Jar Jar Binks, it just, oh, yeah. it just inspired me um, something heavy to to sit down and write and see what it came out as and i just spent half an hour each morning writing down one each part of this this uh podcast and it turned out really well and i recorded it and recorded it in a matter of an hour and was just so happy with the result that i was like you know what it's time that's awesome, you know, i should be afraid of what's happened to me because it's actually 
you know, a, a strength of mine and it's something that I survive, so to speak. Um, and, and you, you and know, I, like Gary, Gary Vee would probably agree. He said, you know, he says that people um, that come from less or have been through more difficult things, they have mm. more of a more more of a passion. They're like the, they're digging their way out of something rather than they've been handed yeah. everything to them, you know, to themselves or from yeah, others. Yeah. Like those yeah, are the people yeah. you got to be scared of, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm more looking. My, my life's always been very anxiety driven and very um, very very uh, stressful at my own um, due to my own self. So it's there's a lot of. Um, I'm just trying to slow my life down, to be completely honest with you, and right have less less people around me that cause stress. I, I just find a nine to five job is that's not where I belong. I'd rather no. be in here, a drawing day to day. That's that's my thing. So, but um, I should ask. I, I should start interviewing you. <laughs> just talking. Um, We're just talking. Yeah. Um. Well, so you're a dad of two. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, you got two kids. How old? Do you mind me asking? Uh, Daughter, she's uh, nine and a half, and a son, he's about three and a half. Oh, okay, cool. I have a daughter who is almost six months old, actually. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. um, Didn't we talk about this in DM? This sounds familiar. Yes. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, but yeah, go ahead. Who shockingly changed my life for the better. She was, um, I'm not, that's not a shock. That was a shock to you. Uh, well, I should have known, but I was in a place a year ago where I just, just had no idea what I was doing with my life. I knew I wanted to draw, but I just had no drive and no real sense of responsibility. And then, mm. you know, we, we got a surprise pregnancy. Um, uh. and all of a sudden in a matter of, Six months, I got my first full-time job. I got, you know, we moved out. We, we just had so much happen in a year. And, you know, tales all the time. We just, except the thing was I was not allowing myself to not take responsibility for what was going on in my life. So I decided let's just put your head down and get to it. And um, right on, might have burned myself out a little bit last year. Last year was a quite a difficult year um as you from as you heard on the last podcast yeah yeah i mean i wonder i wonder what's your kind of what's your kind of philosophy around being a father and being you know how how does that affect everything in your life you might have to narrow this down as we go um okay first off before you before i answer that I love hearing a dad that steps up, even though it wasn't planned, because mm. that's a huge problem over here. Um, and especially, mm. I don't know about especially, but in the city where I live, it's a major, major problem to where really? kids are being born and father's not a part of the life. <sighs> and that's something that really pisses me off, honestly. <clears throat> so, um, so I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to applaud you because you should be involved. <laughs> But it's just—it's nice. It's—it's it's not a story that I hear very often where it was unplanned, and I'm definitely going to be a part of this, and blah blah blah, right? Mm. But it's mm. always the opposite here, where—and I, I work with a lot of teens, teen girls—they have unexpected pregnancy, mm. and I just like—I just see the same story over and over again, where it just doesn't work out. So, mm. um, anyway, that's that. I don't know. It was nice to hear the opposite end of that spectrum. <laughs> 
to where someone's <laughs> like, yeah, I'll be a part of this, and it's it's working out yeah, for the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, so with kids, so you're asking me about how does kids affect art, um, or was it yeah, in general? Yeah, let's start there. Let's let's oh, start okay. there. So you're, I know that you're a you're a hobbyist more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and how how directly I suppose does being around your children all the time and being a father affect your creativity and affect your art? I suppose. It, I don't, um, a couple times I could say that it's affected my creativity, like it's inspired something. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple times, but honestly, not really. <laughs> um, not for really? the most part, no, for the most part, um, the, the ideas that I have, that I, the stuff that I want to draw is just comes from me and things that I'm interested in, comic okay. books and pop culture stuff. Mm. And that has pretty much nothing to do with them. Um, the, the way that they, the way that having kids has affected artwork is by me realizing how valuable my time is and how, okay. how precious little of it that there is. Um, plus having a career where I do, you know, I do a nine to five kind of thing, um, mm. you know, Monday through Friday sort of thing. Right. So mm. I do that. I have my family and mm-hmm. then a couple out, maybe a couple hours a night I have art time, maybe. Mm. Um, and that's if I'm lucky rarely do I have art time that's not interrupted. That would only be like right now, like 10 to 12, 10 to midnight. That's, that's like art time. That's uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I'm not worn out from the day or whatever. <laughs> so having kids, having the first child helped me realize I don't have a whole lot of time. Right. But I still think I took it for granted. Having the second child, um, a few years ago, that's when it really like hit me. Like I don't have much time. Because after he was born, I was attempting to do a comic, and um, I was only able to work on it in bits and spurts, like 20 minutes here and there. Mm. And it really got me really kind of frustrated, and I realized, like, I don't have much time. My time is, like, used up. It's gone. Because um, mm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm not a passive father whatsoever. I'm always a part of their life in every single way. Mm. Um, mm. I'm extremely active. Um, so... It's not like I kick back and my wife does the heavy lifting at all. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. my, my days... What's that? I said, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my, my days are like jam-packed with career and family. Or family first and career. Mm. So the Justin, the, the Justin art time is like... It, it shrank a lot. It has been... I feel like it's widening a little bit as my kids get more independent they can play on their own um, okay. <laughs> or, you know, as my son goes to bed easier on his own, that, that mm. get, like that time, that gap is widening. Yeah. So that's like, it's opening up a little bit. I'm feeling like I can, I can breathe a little bit more, but having kids help me realize that uh, our time as parents is extremely precious. And that oh, I was, yeah. and that I, how, and really kind of how much time I wasted throughout my life with uh, video <laughs> games and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. The time thing is um, is something that I'm constantly working on in in the sense that, you know, I'll, I'm I'm lucky to work later in the afternoon and later in the night. Um, I work around, I work my schedule around that. So not unlike you, um, I'll work. Uh, my my day, like I said, is in first thing in the morning. So I'll sit there in the morning for as many hours as I can. But I I actually. <laughs> 
I got so obsessed with working at a certain point because I was so, you know, going back into an old older depression or going into a new depression of, of sorts that the only thing that was making me happy was working um, and working in here, in my office, on my let own. Me, let me ask you, I want to ask you this. This is a mm. therapy question. This is not a therapy session, but I'm really curious about this. Because yeah. you, you kind of, I think you mentioned this in your podcast, um, so, sort of, and maybe, but maybe I'm wrong about this. But like when you say that working, because I've also, this is also something I've asked myself, right? Because I don't feel content unless I'm working and being productive. I used to be yeah. just fine dicking around and wasting time. It was mm. fun to play video games. Like I, I was at Target today and I saw a video game for sale. And I, a part of me was like, that would be fun to play, to play that. So mm. I, I'm still, like a part of me is still there. Oh yeah, but well, um, but I know if I were to do, to spend the money on it, which would be a waste of money, and then sit down and play it, which would be a waste of time, I don't I wouldn't feel right. So yeah. my drive to like produce and work, um, it brings me like actual fulfillment. Like I actually feel better about myself. Not like I'm just busying myself because I'm anxious. Although hmm. I do, I am pretty much I'm more on the anxious side. But yeah. um, but um, you know what I mean? Like I'm not just like relieving my anxiety by working it's more like i just i don't have much time so i want to be productive with the time that i do have mm-hmm. and i'm also i guess i maybe have aged enough to where dicking around and wasting time just doesn't interest me anymore and i'd rather create mm-hmm. something that can you know that i can build on of course you know I mean? yeah 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 so i'm curious yeah, no. do you how about do you do you is that are you on the same page there or is this like a relief yeah, for depression yeah, or what i have a i have an obsessive nature so, yeah. um, you know, you, you talk to anyone who knew me when I was a kid, I'm one of those, I was one of those kids that was obsessed with, I would go through phases and it would be Power Rangers, it would yeah, be whatever it was, totally. you know, that kind yeah. of thing, comic book, stuff like that. I, I mean, you can't be as passionate about what we do without having a little bit of a obsession. Um, so sure. when, when I find something that makes me feel good, um, I hate I hate when people say I have an addictive personality because I think personally I think it's a crock of shit. Yeah. Um, I think an addictive personality is purely just the human condition, and the human condition means that basically, to an extent, our the the exterior life and the external life, um, especially inside one's brain, means that your you're always going to have some sort of struggle going on and there's always, there's almost constant conflict and addiction is part of that. Your natural human nature is to be addicted, to be easily addicted because substances are going to allow you to be addicted. So whether you become addicted to video games, pornography, uh, whatever it may be, you know, alcohol, name any of them. Um, and work to me is one of those. So I will find, I tend to find something that makes me feel good when I'm feeling in that shitty place, I'll find something that makes me feel good. And then I'll obsess about that one thing. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of like you in a sense that, you know, I'm working on my posters for the convention run this year. And, um, I've decided this year I'm going to screen print. So I'm working on less posters, but higher quality, um, yeah. products. No. And the thing about the higher quality products is, I'm obsessed and, and the last couple of weeks has just been about all that's on my mind is work. So I need to actually, for my own sanity, I found I actually have to schedule time with my family. So into my schedule, 
I have to build a routine. The, the, such this, a- is, this is where I would draw the line with addiction, mm. right? I think mm. addiction is way, just a, an abused term. Um, okay. The way you put it, where you have to schedule time for your family. Mm-hmm. So the, and the, this is just as a comparison, not not no judgment, not good or bad or whatever. But mm-hmm. I realize so my life, my values are family first, career mm-hmm. second, art is a third. Yep. Okay. So like those are my priorities. Those are my values. Those will not bend. Art okay. is always third. So I'm not carving out yeah, time yeah. for my family. I'm carving mm-hmm. out. It, it's basically like after family time is over and after work time is over, if I have time left over for art. Right. Then I will do that. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. to me, that's not an like that's not. I'm not crossing over into like just general, just general use of the word addiction. I'm not crossing over. But if my goal each each day, day in day out, is to draw, and then mm. I'm like sneaking in some work here and there <laughs> at my career, or I'm <laughs> yeah. sneaking in some art time, and I'm begrudging being. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sneaking in family time, or begrudg- begrudgingly being around my family. Then it's yep. like now that might be an issue because like family has to come first. Yeah, I mean it's not not to me. So I'm actually working on uh, um, I'm writing an episode now on um, uh, priorities, and I okay. and now it's a metaphor I've I've coined. Um, it'll make more sense once once the episode out. But it's it's the tree of priorities, and and the idea is that um, I've broken down all the me- all the physical parts of a tree. And what they and how they pertain to one's life. So basically, the core of the tree is family and friends, and that's the trunk. Sure. So, so the roots is where you make your money. That's how you. That's how you clothe yourself. Um, that's your job. So that's how you clothe yourself. How you. Um, like how you eat. How you. Like how you own a house. The roots are the way you grew up, aren't they? The values that you're instilled with. Yes, that's true. You could definitely but the, the relationships, me, the attachment, the trunk, the trunk, which is the core, which is essentially the core that keeps everything together. So the trunk is where the roots come from, and the branches come from, and the leaves come from. That's family, friends, values, morals, how you grew up. Without the trunk, mm. none of the tree exists. And but you know the right. roots come first, don't they? That's a good. Question. It's a, yeah, I'm it's a seedling, and then it, the roots come out, and then the, the trunk grows up, right? I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe I need to swap those around. Then I might have to swap. Metaphors those get tricky. Yeah, the symbolism gets tricky. But I, I get. The, I think I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, but anyway, it's still an idea that I'm posturing on and gotcha. trying to kind of. It's I'm conceptualizing it right now, and then still trying to write it and understand. Right, it, but right. right. I, a little bit more research on on trees. I'm going to do more research on trees. Think, well, think about think about the way. Yeah, think about the way trees <laughs> actually grow. Yeah, and uh, actually, the soil might be like family and values and upbringing, culture, and trees. that's what the seed the seed you know um, sprouts in and grows from, uh, um, for better or worse. Um, yeah, that's true. That's that might family. be. I don't know. But yeah. but that but do you see what I'm saying though? Like someone who's actually addicted to like alcohol. That is mm. the point. Their point of their That's, life is to get drunk or to yeah. escape That's, reality, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they will um, – it's going to sound evil, but they'll use the people around them to meet that end. Or they'll go mm-hmm. to work in order to get mm-hmm. money to get um, you know, money for alcohol, right? But it's all yeah. about alcohol. It's all about – yeah. So that's that's the line I think is is what's your life all about 
and mm. art is a huge portion of my life and mental health mm. is a huge portion of my life being a therapist but um they those things take place after family you know what i mean right. that's okay. so that's yeah, why yeah. i would i wouldn't use the word addiction at all and mm. it doesn't sound like that applies to you either there was this um no. there's a no, really no, interesting no, there's an int- interesting on tw- i was spending a lot of time on twitter recently there's an interesting <laughs> um a lot of subgroups on Twitter, it seems like, and one of them is is mm. uh, people that are autistic, and there's actually this hashtag. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called it's hashtag actually autistic, because autism mm. is a hugely I, th- I think overused um, diagnosis. It's become right. very very big recently, and mm-hmm. apparently yeah. there's people who my guess the way I'm understanding this is that they using actually autistic means like we're actually autistic. We're not just his labels are being thrown yeah, at yeah, us, yeah. but like we actually course, are autistic. Yeah. So anyhow, yeah. um, one of the one of the non-autistic the way that we describe someone who's autistic is to say that they mm. obsess about something. And so yeah. one of these people in the subgroup said they say, "I'm not obsessing; I'm just focused." And I mm. love that, and that's the way I I, yeah, I really there's a, there's a big part of me that understands I'm not diagnosed autistic. I don't think I would be. But yeah. a big part of me identifies with, so I'm not yeah. hashtag actually autistic, but like a big part of me is like, I get that. So yeah. that reading what that person said where, you know, it's not, I'm not obsessed. I'm, I'm focused. That's a good thing. That's a plus. So that's the way I am with pretty much every area of my life is I, I attack it. And I'm extremely focused and mm. I try to get the best result possible. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah no, I, I definitely understand that. And, um, it's it's the same as people who say they're obsessive compulsive. You're not like right. there's, there's things that people with obsessive. It just because you're tidy and you <laughs> like things a certain way. My partner always says this. Yeah. You know, her brothers always call her obsessive compulsive because they're they're so happy to just leave mess around the bloody house. And she's she likes things tidy. And she like not unlike myself. Um, and it's it's all a mental state. Having things tidy is a mental state. It's it's to keep you sane because if you don't have a tidy car you don't have a tidy room that kind of thing how are you going to tidy up your life how are you going to keep it, things yeah i agree crap? and I agree. when people say they're ocd well are you turning a, a doorknob right. 50 times when you go to a, a are you washing yeah. 20 times that you're not actually obsessive compulsive and it's often you know the same goes for adhd i think there's way too oh many children <laughs> we can be here for hours there's way too many young children being diagnosed with ADHD. There really is. There really is. It's basically just showing to all of, all of these. Employees. Oh yeah, all of these things. Autism, I think, is, and I, I know because I've worked in, I've worked for county uh, mental health organizations, I've worked in nonprofits, I've worked in school districts, and these terms get thrown around really haphazardly, and they come from good, like you know, teachers and principals and mental health professionals. We're all trying to help. But when you use these terms very loosely, they lose their meaning. There are people out there that truly are obsessive compulsive and are truly struggling and hate mm. themselves and mm. are like trapped. And mm. when you throw around these terms, it all like it loses its meaning. You know what I mean? And the, yeah. these things like the, they, these are messed up things that people go through and are really dealing with. Mm. And, um, and OCD is one of those things. Um, Autism is thrown around way too much, but it's really interesting to to following these actually autistic people on Twitter. For them, it's it's a non-issue. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. 
and it, it, a lot of them say like we have these like superpowers what are you guys complaining about why are you labeling us as different like they do some incredible <laughs> things um but yeah you know bipolar disorder is thrown around constantly yeah all these things yeah. are thrown around and it's um, it, the the meaning is just like what are we talking about anymore Mm. This the simple moodiness is um, I'm bipolar oh, because fuck, one moment I'm crying the next moment and it's like well, no moodiness again is human nature like okay, you, can, yeah. you can all of a sudden just feel anxious that's, that's how it works but you don't necessarily have to have anxiety you can feel emotions that people you know and there's, there's that right. constant thing depressed oh, I want to we have this term I don't know if you guys that you've ever heard it but when I was younger, there was a lot of people that used to say, you know, kids, there was this term called necking yourself. Like, I just want, I was just like, oh, I just want to neck myself. No. And, and you see, like, but you know what that means, right? Like, that's, I got you. that's a pretty it, serious thing to say when. Well, what, no, wait, does it mean like what you just did right there with your neck? Is that what that means? Like, hang yourself. Like, oh. that's, it's, it's like, I want to commit suicide because my day's been so bad. Oh, okay. And it was one of those things that I remember kind of thinking, even at a young age, just going, we probably shouldn't be using this. Term. I mean, <laughs> we could get into terms and all that kind of thing, but, you know. Yeah. There's a, I, lot, of, like, there's a lot of like mis- You know, just in daily conversation, if you know someone and you know that they're just using it generally, it's not a big deal, I don't think. Right. But when it comes yeah. from professionals and when teachers and other professionals are throwing these terms around, and they, I see this all the time in every setting I've worked in, these terms mm. are thrown out, I think, very, very loosely. Um, I've seen ADHD being not diagnosed constantly. I personally mm. rarely have used that diagnosis. At this point, I pretty much don't because I always feel like it's a better explanation um, okay. than a kid just being hyperactive. I just there's always something else going on that I've seen. Um, I've never, I've, I've literally have never worked with a kid who is hyperactive and having a difficult time paying attention just because. Like they were just mm. born that way. I personally, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I personally, in my 11 years of working with children, have not met this kid yet. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with bipolar disorder. I've always found a better explanation. Um, mm. Trauma seems to be something that underlies a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tra- or having tra- having a poor attachment relationship with your parents. Mm. Um, stuff like that underlies a lot of these issues and, and kind of pops up over anxiety pops up over and over again depression pops up over and over again mm. these things kind of like underlie a lot of these diagnoses yeah yeah definitely how so how does how does all of that all of your training and does that affect your your parenting style has that has you know been yeah. working with all kinds of people affected your parenting style and kind of speak yeah. on that how does, um, well yeah. I've done parenting group since I've graduated, so the past 11 years, I've, I've done uh, parenting, um, teaching parenting, uh, or doing like parenting um, process, um, therapy, like group therapy with parents, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always done work with parents. I've done family therapy ever since I graduated. I mean, I've always done family therapy and group uh, parenting skills or parenting therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take the parenting stuff really seriously. And in order to teach it, I damn well practice it at home. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I mean, mm. the kids I've worked with, most of my work has been with kids, um, teenagers. Mm. Um, mm. Like hearing what they go through and knowing, because they don't talk about this to their parents, but they'll talk about it to a therapist. Mm. 
you know, hearing that stuff makes me realize how important I am as a parent and, um, and how easy it is to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I know the things that are obviously no's. Like I, I never hit my kids. I mm. rarely raise my, uh, I've yelled at my kids. I'm not proud of it. Mm. I've, I've lost my control every now and then. Mm. Um, but I don't swear at them. No name calling. Um, mm. But yeah, I've yelled. I don't, I'm not proud of that at all. But, you know, I, there's things that, like, I have a line where it's just, I know that these things will cause emotional harm. Um, mm. and, or, you know, and I'm not saying it's, like, long-term trauma. I'm not saying that. But there, I, I, I know there's a line that I personally, in my values, my wife and I, we don't cross. You know what I mean? Mm. And I've had moments where, like, I was raised the opposite of that. I wasn't abused or anything, but I was raised, um, you know, we got spanked regularly. Mm. Um Lots of, lots of yelling, Italian family, lots of yelling, <laughs> we were yelling at each other for everything. And yeah. so I, I've had to notice within myself, that that's the natural way that comes out of me. Cause that's the way I was raised. Mm. But then based on the kids I've worked with, based on what I've learned and, and taught that yelling doesn't really accomplish anything, um, mm. except for fear and submission. And I don't want my kids to be submissive of me and to be fear me. Um, I'd rather we work together, you know, so that, mm. that's, that's the ideal. That's the value I go for. I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't meet that all the time, but, but you know, so yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it based on the kids I've worked with and the things that I teach and stuff, it absolutely affects the way I'm as a dad. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could imagine. I think that's, um, I think that's kind of why I really got into listening to you because I, I'm starting to notice that I'm, I'm, I, I, as a man and as a parent, am starting to pay more attention. Uh, although I'm only in my tw- mid-20s, I'm starting to pay more attention to people around me that feel similar, um, if not the kind of father and the kind of person I want to be. And I always knew you were one. You you seem very aware of yourself and what you were doing. And um, you always seem very, um, you know, this, there's, there's a lot of, I hate to say that there's I don't want to be too generic because and I don't want to be too generalizing but there you're right there it is very easy to screw up being a father it's very easy because one thing I noticed when my daughter was first born was at any point in the last six months I could have just walked out because it got overwhelming it got so hard having to you know be the young guy, work the full-time job that I didn't even enjoy, come home, make sure that, you know, everyone was okay and everyone was alive and getting up, you know, not getting very much sleep, all that kind of thing. And there was, I mean, there was not one point due to my, the way I was raised, not one point did I walk out, not one point did I even think about walking out either. Um, And there's, there's a certain vulnerability to being being a good father there's <laughs> a certain um and, there is, and the yeah. responsibility, although it weighs down on you the responsibility is so important because my dad always said to me you know the one thing you have to do as a parent if you don't do anything else as a parent is turn up and just be there like Dude. be so make it boring so boring that you you're always there because that's the most important thing as a parent, I think. It is. I, mm-hmm. It's, um, 
yeah, it's huge. Um, Kids that don't have both parents in their lives seem to have a more difficult time. Mm. Um, And it's not, that's not a hundred percent of the case, you know, of all kids that have a single parent at at all. But, but um, the vast majority of the kids I work with are missing a father. Yeah. Um, That seems significant to me. Mm. Yeah. And and like they, they loathe, they can't stand those dads that are gone. Yeah. Like that affects them. Like it, it affects them, you know, like my parent, one of my parents is not here. Like, what does that say about mm. it? They, they internalize that. Mm. So yeah, yeah, just, just being present, just being present is, uh, is a, it's, you have, that's the first step you have to. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't yeah. get to, you don't get to just have a kid and walk out. You don't get to do that. That's not okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> they, they didn't choose to be here. No. You chose what you chose. You can't mm. st- like, that's not right. Hmm. No, it's not at all. No, it's just it's not it's not a right at all. And anyone who thinks that I personally think have but a very skewed skewed moral compass. And and from an ethical point of view, I just I don't. I mean, I can I can I can empathise with it, but I think I was I was raised luckily by a a um, a, a strong and vulnerable man. That I was able to, that I had a good and strong and emotionally strong and emotionally intelligent father who yeah. was able to hand on to me his, um, in part, without him even meaning to, um, hand on to me his his parenting style. And it's a, it's a lot of what what I do and what the way I look at it. Because even having, even, I'm sure you know, even having a girl um, is even for a man is even more responsibility. I, I personally think than having a boy because mm. we know what boys are like, but we so, also yeah. have to, I have to, I have to cause it. I mean, we have to set a standard for our daughters as to what they should put up with from men. And what, I agree. What standard, of, what standard of love they should put up with and what Dude, they should be we, looking we, Both parents, whether you're there or not, are we are the templates for the relationships for the rest of their lives. Mm. That mm. is a huge amount of responsibility that I do not take lightly at all, ever. Um, yeah, me too. They are... Oh, I think I lost you. Hold on a second. <laughs> I turned my mic I... off again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, okay. my my wife and I, we are the the model, the template for their future relationships. Yeah, like we have this messed up way of reenacting the way that our parents raised us, and yeah. we seek we see it's it's this messed up thing. We, we kind of seek out our parents as partners. It's fucked up, but it's true. So, <laughs> like, I am the template as a male role model for both of these kids, and I don't want to mm. mess that up. I'm not perfect, but I take that with. A, a pretty intense amount of responsibility. You know what I mean? Um, like yeah. I don't take that lightly at all. I, I don't want yeah. my daughter putting up with nonsense from so, anybody. Yeah. So I, I treat her for the most part. She's become kind of annoying recently, but I treat her with a ton of, I think love, lots of affection, lots mm. of love, lots of um, just you know, lots of love and respect and affection, mm. but also hold her to firm boundaries um, and expectations. Um, I expect a lot out of her, just like I'll expect out of my son. Um, but I also give them a ton of freedom. They have the freedom. I don't make them do their homework. Or not him yet, but her. I don't mm. make her do her homework 
and I say, this is your homework. I have completed my homework in life. I'm done. Mm. (laughs) If you don't want to do it, if you can live with getting an F, go right ahead. I'm not going to stop you. Um, Mm. So I've taken zero control over her schooling. And I said, until the point you show me where I have to step in and take over, you do whatever Mm. you want. And she's been a great student. She's been phenomenal. And Mm. and it's all her. It's all her because I don't do a damn thing. It's all her. Yeah. Yeah, Anyhow, anyhow, yeah, like I'll treat both them the same way. It has nothing to do with being a boy or a girl. It's just this is what I expect out of any decent human being. And this is what I'm going to present to you as a, as a male role model and as a dad. I'm going to hold myself to a high standard. And I'm going to hold you to a high standard as well. But I'm also going to allow you to mess up. If you want to mess up, that's on you and you'll live with the consequences. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And that's teaching responsibility. That's, that's Huge. I mean, even, even when we fell pregnant, that's what my dad said. He said, well, look, here's the thing. You you have a responsibility now. This is if you if you're going to make this choice, you're, you've got this responsibility, and whether you two end up together or married or whatever you decide, you're still going to have a child together, regardless, right. and that's going to be forever. That's going to be for your entire lives. Yeah, and and you have to be ready to um, ready to take that on. And it was it was an interesting conversation because it it struck me like a bloody brick wall. <laughs> Nice. And how, however, it struck me in the sense that also I got to a point at the end of last year where I saw this little girl who was mine, who I knew I had a responsibility to not only show her, um, show her a standard that, she, that, that I need to begin to set and a bar that I need to begin to set, but I need to show her that if I don't, if I just give up on becoming an illustrator as my career, uh, is, which is my path, if I just gave up on that, what would I be teaching her? If I just put through in the cards and just sure. went and did jobs at the, at, in sure. retail or whatever it is, what would I be teaching her? If I didn't work even harder and if I didn't even use that motivation that caused me to you know, make the big steps last year, the next upgrade from that would be now we've got all that in place, let's get in place the real thing you want to do and the real career path you want to do and start with your business and your freelancing so that you can show her not she can do whatever she wants, but you can show her that that kind of life change isn't going to stop you from being who you know you can be. And it's not going to, to me, that would have been giving up. That would have been like, Oh, well, I've got a family to support now. I've got to give up on my dreams and give up on myself and just worry about them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's another very important thing to make sure that she knows. Absolutely, man. Mm. Yeah. We're the model. Like I, I know that I, for my parents, I definitely, um, in a lot of ways, my life mirrored theirs for quite a while, you know? Um, so mm. yeah, we're, we're the model for everything mm. that they will I mean, we're huge. Like we're huge. The, every single kid that I've worked with in therapy, there's there's two, there's there's a few constants. There's a few things that I can predict, and mm. one of them is there probably will be missing a dad, which is super sad and pisses me off. Mm. But that's mm. predictably constantly an issue, right? The second mm-hmm. one is that they don't feel loved by their parents. This is mm. I can predict this with all, like ninety nine percent. So I, I'm dead serious because I used to ask. I still kind of do. But I used to ask my clients, every single one of them, all kids or um, teenagers, do your parents love you? 
or do you feel your parents? And they would say, I know my parents love me. And I say, I know you know it in your head, mm -hmm. but do you feel it in your body? They always say no. Every single time they say it, they pause and they say, no, I don't. I don't feel my parents' love. That's huge, dude. So like that, sure. uh, that alone, like being present is one thing, but if I can communicate my love to my children in a way that they feel I'll have won as a dad, if I can do that, then I think they will at least be, as far as their mental health goes, they'll be on the right track. <laughs> because oh, yeah. predictably, 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 this is a constant issue. That I don't. This isn't studied. I don't think. I don't think this is a ever studied. Like no one. I don't think other therapists are regularly asking their clients if they feel their parents' love. I don't know. But I have no idea. But this mm. is a predictably. This is an issue that underlies every single kid I've seen. That mm. and um, some level of trauma or attachment issues with parents. Predictably. Yeah. You know what I mean, so if if, if yeah. these kids had. If these kids had both parents in their lives, they'd be much better off. But they, they tell me that, like, they, they can reach some level of acceptance. Like, my dad's not here. He never was here. I can accept that. That's where he is. And, they'll, like, teenagers will be like, they can rationalize that. They can accept that. And they'll be like, he's an asshole, but he's not a part of my life. I can accept that. Mm. But my mom does this to me, or she treats me this way. That I can't accept because she's here, and she yeah. should be doing more or not doing this or whatever. So if they, they like kids can accept that one parent is not a part of their life for whatever mm -hmm. reason, which they shouldn't have to, but they can they can accept that yeah, as long as they have as long as they have a strong, healthy, loving attachment with the other parent. One parent, yeah, the the, the like at least parent. just one, like just give us one, mm -hmm. you know. So that, but if they don't have that, then that's when the behavioral and emotional and thought, you know, cognitive issues kind of come into play it seems yeah it's it's always interesting to me when i meet i mean predictably myself growing up i'm i know i could count on more hands than i have the amount of people i know and have met who have divorced parents or who have you know quote unquote asshole fathers as girls say or whatever or, or are a child either a stepchild or they're a child of a second marriage or anything like that. In fact, I think I know more people who have been through any of those, who come from any of those kinds of families, than I do who come from a family that actually stay, that has two parents really? that have been around at the time, yeah. which is interesting because what are we teaching at school? <laughs> what are we teaching at our schools that's causing us to have such a high divorce rate and such a high, you know, yeah. what do you call um, absent absentee parents? That's you know, what exactly are yeah, we actually? Oh, <laughs> that's the question. How, man. All the important stuff is so hard to regulate when we have, you know, over here at the very that we have 13, 12 to thirteen years of schooling um, in yeah. most countries and we're still coming out on the other end not only in debt not only in you know just bad states not really knowing how to uh, obtain a job but not even knowing how to who to marry not even knowing how to raise isn't that something we should be teaching in schools isn't no even responsibility even just a common sense class i don't think our, so in, 
Well, cr- critical thinking, yeah. Critical thinking, yes. Yeah. But, but I don't, I don't trust governments to teach this stuff effectively. No. Yeah. This is to me it, because it's so, it's so rampant. This is a mm-hmm. value. This is like a value system that comes from your family. And it, I think, mm-hmm. in general, the the importance of having family, whatever that looks like. I'm not saying it has to look like a certain thing either. Like honestly, dude, because you can have a happy, intact family that's a single parent. And the child, like you, that can happen. I, I, those kids can be just fine. Like that can totally oh, yeah. happen. I'm not saying it has to look a certain way at all. Yeah. But um, but there's there's does seem to be this underlying erosion of the importance of family and um, commitment and yeah. responsibility and hard mm-hmm. work. Like all these values seem to be eroding, mm. and that kind of underlies a lot of the kids that I work with and the and yeah. their families. Yeah, of course. I um, was actually just in Brisbane recently uh, on the weekend, and I went and saw uh, Jordan Peterson do a lecture. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, really interesting. Um, he he's doing he's obviously doing his tour, so he's in in Australia right now. And um, his lecture was basically uh, I can't remember what he called it, but it was he was what he was emphasising is. Um, he's very much about hierarchies. I don't know if you've read anything that he's... I've uh, seen a couple of his lectures and interviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't read I his books or anything. I was listening to him and Sam Harris this afternoon. They're nice. freaking those two. Um, he, his lecture was based... So he's very much about hierarchies and about how there's so many people that are arguing that hierarchies don't exist. And he'll argue that even... He, he even in this lecture he argued essentially that for one to do anything you need a hierarchy so you need a subconscious hierarchy for you to even know how to make dinner you need to and he broke oh, okay. it down typical jordan peterson broke it down into so low as to you need to learn at some point how to chop up vegetables so someone yeah. needs to teach you that and it needs to become subconscious so there's a hierarchy there to begin with. You need to learn that, and you start learning that when you're a kid. You you hand you get handed a spoon, and you don't say, "Hey, go and put that spoon on the table because it's it's important because we have guests coming over and they might want a spoon." You say, "Here's a spoon, go and put it on the table." And he comes back and he goes, "Can I have it?" You know, you give him another one and so on and so forth. Anyway, the point he was making is that you need a hierarchy in 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 your life and in just in everything you do. And he was basically saying that you need these hierarchies to then therefore have a target. If you don't have a target, everything you do has a target, no matter how little or how, how big. And I think this, this pertains to why there's so much, so many of these issues going on around parenting and around um, mental health is people don't have a target. They don't have something to aim at. And, and something as simple mm. as tonight, I need to make dinner. And dinner needs to be completed so that the people in this house can eat for dinner. That's sure. a simple target. And, uh, you know, we, we could sit here for hours talking about how you could break down the hierarchies in that. But the, essentially the point he was making is if you don't have a target, what are you doing? <laughs> what's, what's, what's the purpose in no wonder you feel so lost? No wonder you feel so um, so scared when when your girlfriend says she's pregnant. 
and you go, oh shit, I need to run away. Yeah. Because if you're if if you're raised in a in a in a household where everyone has no target, they have no, let alone anything to, like nothing to aim at, and they're just plodding along in their lives. And we have a lot we have a lot of this in our in our country where there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of welfare. There's a lot of yeah. um, we call them dull bludgers because the, the the welfare system is they're all on the dole and they're all just obtaining money. Um, eating horribly, complaining about the government, and you know, and you can see when you talk to these people, they have nothing, <laughs> nothing that they have, and, and 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 even when you go to the shopping centre, you can pick them out from a mile away because of because of the way they're complaining about the way that the the chick behind the desk treated them, because she because. It also, it seems, this lack of aim and this lack of responsibility seems to breed um, narcissism mm. and, 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 and yeah. serious self-importance and entitlement, which is kind of scary because those people are dangerous. People like that are very dangerous because they'll bring, I mean, not to get political, but arguably... <laughs> That's potentially what's going on everywhere. I mean, even here we have some horribly narcissistic and woefully un, unprepared and unqualified politicians as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we're speaking in generalities, but I know mm-hmm. what, what you said your career is. You probably mm-hmm. have a pretty intimate look at some of the stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And on my end of things, working in county school districts, you know, a, a lot of the families I work with um, are on some sort of public assistance. Mm. And I know some people genuinely need it, and I hope it's to get back on track, you know, and that's what it's mm-hmm. for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's also been a ton of stories of like people that are abusing the system, or and and it's not even just like like the stereotypical person that we're thinking of, but like shop owners who claim that their kids own the shop, not them. And Shit. then they, like they own, like my kid owns a business. I don't have a job, even though it's, it is their business. And wow. so they claim, well, I need social security. Like, the, and, but, and it's not just here and there. It's, it does seem to be this on, on, on my end over here in California, I've heard these stories enough to where it's like, this is kind of a problem, it seems like. Mm. And if, yeah. if people are looking for fast money and all they have to do is lie on a form, um, yeah, there, there does seem to be some values there that are a little off. Yeah, definitely. There's, we have a lot of... Um, I didn't know that. I mean, that, I've never heard of the, the shop owner thing, but oh, we have man. a lot. We, we had a thing when I was younger, actually. We called it the baby bonus. So, you know, some people have babies, they might be struggling with money. So the government decided, hey, let's give them all, I think it was $500 maybe, $1,000 per person. You just had to basically say, yes, I've just had a baby in the last six months since she put the baby bonus out. And yeah. he, and look, on paper, that makes so much sense. You know, I, I actually kind of wish we financially got a little bit of that baby bonus. But unfortunately, they had mm. to get rid of it because what happened was, People were basically taking that money and not using it on their children, not using it on rent, not using it on oh, yeah. they should, 
should have been. There was there was an influx, and it was around the time of Christmas as well. So there was an influx um, in Black Friday, and uh, we didn't really have Black Friday as much back then here, but on Boxing Day sales and that kind of thing, where people were basically they tracked it, and people were basically buying televisions and playstations and just using this money yeah, to buy material items that was like, what are you doing? I've heard I've heard of people here. Regular, it's not uncommon taking their food stamps and then selling them for cash. Oh yeah. That so then right. the people who people who give the cash get more value in food, mm. and the people who got the food stamps that are selling them now have cash they can use whatever they want for, rather than certain items. It, it's um, it, it seems to be a pretty broken system. The intentions yeah. are good. I know people yeah. genuinely need help, but there's so many stories that I'm, you know, seeing and hearing of that are. Like it seems kind of broken, honestly. Yeah, yeah which is super sad because there are people that genuinely need to get back on their feet or whatever, you know. Like honestly, my wife has thought about doing. I'm not gonna. I shouldn't call her out, but I will. Um, mm. She has lupus, which is a very debilitating disease. Mm. Yeah, auto, autoimmune disease. Yeah, and she's. I, I can't believe she works full time. Like she's incredible. Um, but by all accounts she should be at home taking care of herself physically because she's fucked up. It's, it's bad. Um, but she's amazing. She goes to work full time, has an extremely stressful job, comes home, rests, does the same thing the next day. Um, but you know, we've thought about like, can we live off of, can we, can we do, um, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, some sort of public assistance for you. Mm -hmm. Um, because like you should be at home taking care of yourself. You're, you're like, you're running yourself into the ground. Mm hmm. Um, and she makes that sacrifice for her family, but, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but like, so I, I know people, I know there's people out there that genuinely need help and yeah, just yeah, yeah. have a, have a shitty run of luck or whatever. But so many people, it seems like are willing to take advantage of the system that don't need it or that yeah. do need it and spend it stupidly. But it's, it's not just, it's a lot of people. It's some people that don't, that own shops that don't need it. Or mm. that are claiming an extra kid, even though they don't have an extra kid, or the parents are divorced and they're both claiming the kid, or whatever. Mm. Like, it's, there's so many abuses of these systems that are have good intentions. All right, guys, we're going to stick a pin in it there for now. I want to thank Justin um, for coming on the podcast. And in a couple of days, part two will be out. So stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening um, and we'll be back with part two of my chat with Mr. J Prime. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you like it. If you got this far, you're obviously enjoying it. All right, guys, I'll see you soon. And as always, I've been Jordan. Stay weird. All right, we're going down the Centrelink office now. Because everybody has to have some dealings with Centrelink at some stage of your life for whatever reason. And I reckon if you get a Centrelink payment, you deserve every bloody cent of it. For all the time you spend waiting on the phone to talk to them, the mountain of paperwork you've got to fill out. And if you go down there for an appointment, you're there for a week, you may as well work there. I lost me job when me boss went broke. First time in 30 years I've been out of work. I thought I'd apply for unemployment benefits So off I went down to Centrelink 
I stood in a line that stretched out the front door I got to the counter and I asked for a form They said I should have rung up or used the internet Cause that's the way they do things now at Centrelink Slightly disgruntled I went home and made the call When I finally spoke to a human it was half past four I was hot and dry and I needed a drink I'd put in a hard day's work at Centrelink They asked all sorts of questions about who did what with who So wonder they didn't want to know the last time I had a poo They gave me a long list of documents to bring Tomorrow when